Hey, good morning, y'all. Beautiful mask-wearing folks. Would you stand with me? I'm going to read, uh, this is uh, Psalm 149, verses 1 through 5. It says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. So God, regardless of where we are, whether we're here in person or joining us from home, and um, thank you that we have the opportunity to sing of your goodness. Thanks for how you love us. Thanks that, um, Holy Spirit, you need no great invitation. You're in us, you're around us. But make us aware of what you're doing. Make us aware of your presence, God. We, um, we thank you again just for the opportunity to gather. Uh, we're grateful that we, um, that we are your bride, that we are your church. And Lord, I, I, um, I pray that as we worship you in spirit and in truth, God, that your name would be glorified, that you'd be honored, that you'd remind us of the depth of the truth of these lyrics, uh, the, simple, the simple truth um, of, of, of your gospel and how you, how you love us and how you're after us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.
welcome you to Cross Community Church this morning. If you are here with us in person and those joining us online, we are so excited that everyone is able to gather together. My name is Leandra Livesey, and I'm the children's minister here at Cross Community. And I just want to draw your attention to a few important things as we begin to gather today. First of all, if this is the very first time that you have joined us, we hope you stop by our first-time guest tent um, so that we could say hi and get to know you a little bit better. But um, if not, then we hope that you will join us on the way back out. For everyone else that is here with us online and in person, you have a Next Step card. You can fill that out, um, and that is the number one way that we communicate with you each week. So if you have a prayer request, um, want to get involved, join a community group, we hope that you will fill that out and drop it in at the tower at the back. I especially want to highlight community groups. Those are going to be starting back in full force in just a few weeks, and we really want everyone, um, if you consider cross-community home, that you would be just really intentional in trying to find a group that fits a time that you can meet. They meet all over Beaufort, different nights of the week, so we really hope that that'll be something that we can plug you into. Um, and just as important as our, our worship and our prayer, we believe that our giving is another act of worship to the Lord. And I want to just take a minute to highlight what your giving has just incredibly allowed us to do, is that we are going to be back with Cross Kids in just a few weeks. So two weeks from today. Yeah, thank you. Um, we, are, we have not been able to do that in such a long time, and so we're so excited to be able to do that. And our students are going to kick, they've been going all summer, but they're going to kick off with their sixth grade welcome. So we are really excited that just because of your generosity and gifts that we are able to just to continue that ministry and have our children back here in their own groups um, on Sunday morning. So thank you so much for that. And then Dustin Nally is going to come. So if everybody will go ahead and stand back up, he is going to read our administrative pastor um, the scripture with us this morning. morning guys so we're in acts 2 this morning if you would just read with me as we go through the text and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for this beautiful text this morning. That as we reflect over uh, the New Testament church and their gathering together, that they were gathering together because of you. Lord God, the fountain of uh, all life. Father God, they had submitted themselves to you, Lord God, and they were encouraging one another, uh, pouring themselves out, Lord God. And it's through that love and that care and that generosity to one another that the watching world looks in and sees a difference. In a world that is lost and broken, destroyed by the ravages of sin, our sin, Father God, you stand as a beacon of hope for us. Father, and it's amazing to look at the New Testament church and just to see that, that through that love, Lord God, the, new, the, the world has to look in and see something different and question why. 
Our culture particularly just loves to promote individuality and self-preference and all of these things that only serve to isolate us from one another. Lord God, and you have given us a beautiful gift of community, Lord God, so that we can gather here and that we can worship you, the author of true salvation. Father, so let us do that this morning through song. Let us do that through the teaching and preaching of God's word. Help us to submit our lives to this word and be changed forever through the power of the gospel. Be with Pastor Taylor as he preaches the word. Lord God, help him to be faithful to the text. Lord God, and move in our hearts. Lord God, we expect that you will change us and make us look more like your beautiful son. So we thank you. We ask that you would just do that this morning. It's in Jesus' name.
praise, church. Let's get true to sing. Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves now to your word. And Father, we know that as we open these words, we find life, we find truth. Lord, we find steadfast and immovable hope. And Lord, in a year where so much has changed, so much has been uncertain, we praise you that we get to rest in the truth of your sovereignty, that you are our shepherd, that you defend us, that you go before us, Father. We praise you that nothing that is happening in our world today has taken you by surprise. And Lord, though we may find ourselves afraid, you have not been shaken. And Father, we rest in that truth this morning. So we ask, Lord, as we open your word today, as we see once again this picture of what you desire for your church, for the body of believers Lord, will you use these words to edify your church and to glorify your name? Lord, will you sanctify us in the truth of these words? Would you empower us with the Holy Spirit to live out these truths in the world around us? Father, we would leave this place today more faithfully equipped to look like you and to serve the world you've called us to serve. So Holy Spirit, have your way in this place today, and will you use these words to shape your church I ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, you can go ahead and have a seat. I um, want to welcome you this morning. If you're here as our guest or those of you joining in online, my name's Taylor and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. And I'll invite you to go and turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 2 if you're not there already. And for those of you who may be joining in with us for the first time today, for the last few weeks we have been walking through Acts chapter 2 as we desire to see the clearest picture of what it is that God desires for his people as the church. So uh, last week from Acts chapter 2 we saw that gospel communities gather One of the distinguishing, defining characteristics of the church is that we gather because the word church, ecclesia, means assembly, and the defining characteristic of assemblies is that they assemble. So we spent time in Acts 2, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, looking at how it's God's desire for his church to gather together corporately and also to gather together frequently. We saw that the church is certainly more than the building, but it is definitely not less than the gathering. And we're in a unique season right now where many are prevented from gathering, are unable to gather. But last week we tried to really distinguish the difference between the believer who cannot gather and the believer who will not gather. The cultural trend has been for the church to gather all the less, but the biblical mandate is for us to gather all the more. And as we gather together, we put on visible display the good news of Jesus Christ. So we saw that gospel communities gather, and for those of you who are following along in your notes this morning, the central truth that we're going to see in this text today is that gospel communities grow. We've taken a few different looks here at Acts 2, 42 through 47 over the last few weeks, and we're going to take a look again today and again next week looking at this text from a couple of different angles. But today we're going to see that gospel communities grow. Now, two things that can really become a sharp point of disagreement among followers of Christ are the topics of church membership and of church growth. 
Uh, depending on your faith background, membership can have a very negative connotation attached to it. It's uh, become so controversial even uh, in recent years that many churches have abandoned the concept altogether. Uh, many believe that this is just a man-made, unbiblical construct, something that we have superimposed on the Bible and is ultimately not God's desire for his church. I remember in our earliest days, the first few months that we were gathering together as a church family, there were a handful of families who from day one were gathering together with us every single week. They had connected to community groups. They were serving on volunteer ministry teams from what they shared with me. They were giving. They were inviting others to participate in the work that we were doing. But after we'd been meeting for several weeks and we began offering opportunities for membership classes, I remember uh, one Sunday in particular, a few of these families were waiting for me in the lobby at Buford High School and said, listen, we need to share a concern with you. We, we do not believe in membership. We just believe we're a part of the big C church. We don't need to be members of any one local body, and uh, this is really problematic for us. And they made it clear in no uncertain terms that if that's something we were going to be standing beside as a church, that they uh, were not going to continue in fellowship with us. So uh, we stood there and had a little bit of conversation, invited them to, to be able to sit down and meet offline so we could just kind of walk through the Bible a little bit and see why it is we see this and believe this as God's desire for his church. Um, but ultimately, they opted not to to stay. They stood by their words and they moved on. And, and they've been far from the only ones who have had that experience. Every single year we, we have this conversation with a number of folks who will come through our doors because uh, they've come through a faith background where either membership was not a priority or uh, maybe where they saw a very unhealthy picture of this. And then oftentimes what happens is that negative experience or that negative presupposition they're bringing to the table gets superimposed on a local congregation. Uh, just as controversial can also be this topic of church growth. In the 21st century, church growth has become a little bit of a cottage industry. Uh, you would probably throw up if I showed you the number of emails that come to my inbox almost every single week from organizations promising that if we'll follow their method, if we'll buy their materials, if we'll hire their company, we'll see 200 new people by Sunday. Your church will grow by 50% by the end of the year, and they sell these promises of numbers. And it can be very tantalizing. It can be very, very seductive just to think that it can be that easy to get people in the doors. And unfortunately, what gives a lot of credence to objections against church membership is that there are a number of instances that we could all probably point to of churches that truly have been about numbers for the sake of numbers. It's getting people in the door at all costs, no matter what it means uh, to be able to get them there. So the question that we want to answer from Acts chapter 2 this morning, I think, is a critical one for us today. And the question is, how is the church called to grow? We're going to see from Acts 2 that it's very clearly God's desire for his church to grow, but we also have to come in with a healthy understanding that not all growth is necessarily good, and contra the message of 21st century Western culture, bigger does not always mean better. But it is God's desire that people would come to saving faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ and to be welcomed into the fellowship of believers. And the picture we have in Acts 2 is this beautiful glimpse of God's first century covenant community. So how then is the church called to grow? That's the question I want us to answer this morning. And my prayer is that we will catch a glimpse of God's beautiful design for this New Testament community of believers. And it should be our prayer that we see this lived out in our lives today. So from Acts chapter 2, we've already read verses 42 through 47, but we're going to read this again as we've done the last couple weeks as we'll do again next week because I want this picture to be seared at the forefront of our minds. This is the earliest glimpse of the church this is what God desires for his people. And let's see how they were in fellowship with one another. 
Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So how are gospel communities called to grow. We see first from Acts 2 that gospel communities grow relationally. They grow relationally with one another. I want us to pay really close attention to a very important word in verse 42 because it, I think for many of us this is a word we've probably read this text a number of times and maybe have glossed right over it, but it makes all the difference that we understand its significance and its placement. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Everyone say the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now the placement of that definite article right there, that is very critical for us to understand. The New Testament first century church was not just committed to the idea of fellowship or to the concept of fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship as a construct. There was a clear marking out from the earliest moments of the church, those who truly belong to the church of Jesus Christ and those who do not. And so uh, we saw last week that that word devoted that's used there, it's really best translated in the active sense as in they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. We saw how that word fellowship, koinonia, emphasized not just a daily event, a weekly event. It wasn't just Sunday service and brunch. This was a daily ongoing lifestyle of participation and sharing of good and of finances and ultimately of the ministry of the gospel. And they were not just devoting themselves to fellowship as a concept, but as a construct. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. This is from the earliest moments of the church. We see this clear marking out of those who believed. We've seen in Acts 2 that many hear the message of the gospel, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and then what identifies them, what seals them as being part of the body of believers is that then they are publicly baptized. And that act of baptism is what associates them with the fellowship of the church. Now, uh, inevitably, anytime this discussion about belonging to a specific congregation or the topic of church membership comes up, here's the objection. The question is this, show me the verse in the New Testament that says, uh, I must become a member of a specific local church. And, and we'll be the first people to tell you, we teach it like this in our membership class. If you are looking for the verse in the New Testament that says, thou shalt become a member of a local church, you're not going to find it. So, so we'll, we'll concede that and give that to you. But what I want us to see today in particular is that just because something isn't explicitly stated does not mean that it's not clearly implied. Let me, let me give you an example. Take the doctrine of the Trinity. That this is the most foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. It's one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Without that doctrine, our faith falls apart. We see God clearly expressed in Scripture as one and as three, and yet we never one time actually find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. 
Trinity is a word that we use to describe a concept that's very, very clearly implied. And we believe this is the same thing about church membership. You might not specifically see that verse, but we do see a very clearly implied concept. Except what's different about the doctrine of the Trinity and a push towards church membership is that we do actually see the word member in the New Testament. So take, for example, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He goes on, Romans 12, 4 and 5, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So you might read those passages of Scripture and say, See, it's just God's desire for us to be part of Big C Church, one body in Christ. And yes, that is a truth that Paul is expressing to the recipients of these letters and these passages, but let's not forget, to whom is Paul writing these letters? He is writing them to locally organized congregations. So he's writing this truth about the big C church to a number of little C churches. He's writing this to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth. We see him write letters to Colossae, to Philippi, to Thessalonica. We see him write letters to individual pastors of local congregations. We see this all throughout the New Testament is that there is certainly an emphasis on the kingdom of Jesus Christ, an emphasis on the big C church, but the totality of the New Testament is written to believers who are organized together in local congregations. So I'm convinced one of the main reasons why many followers of Jesus struggle to see church membership in the New Testament is because we come to the New Testament looking for the wrong thing. This word member has become so culturally convoluted. It's so culturally convoluted, but Paul makes a very important clarification for us in these two texts. We as followers of Jesus are not members of a body in the way that a golfer is a member of a club. We're members of one another in the way that my hand is a member of my arm. It plays an indispensable function. Being a member of something isn't about just paying dues and then receiving rights and privileges as you go. The New Testament doesn't necessarily say become a member of a local church. It says we already are members of the body of Christ. And we see all who are in Christ organized together locally in these congregations. It's, it's such a convoluted term that even earlier this year, our elders, our staff, we got together and we had a conversation. It's like, man, maybe we use a different word than membership. Uh, There's another New Testament word like partnership. We'll see that as we study the book of Philippians here in a couple of weeks. We're like, maybe we use that instead. But then we we tested that out on some people, and that was was more confusing than membership was. We're like, scratch that, not going to use that anymore. I think it's important for us to understand member is a biblical word, so we don't need to reject it. We need to redeem it. What does God desire for us as members of the body of Christ? This is why we miss this. I think sometimes we go to the New Testament looking for the wrong thing. Jonathan Lehman has a really helpful short book on church membership, and the way he frames it is like this. He says, many of us miss membership in the New Testament because we open our Bibles looking for an apple when we should be looking for a fruit basket. We go looking for the wrong thing. We bring our own cultural baggage, we bring our own church baggage, and then we superimpose it on the Bible, and we say, see, I don't see that there, but maybe God desires something totally different. Maybe the reason we don't see it is because it's not what's actually revealed to us in God's Word. So this is what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to quickly walk through about nine or ten points of the New Testament where we clearly see this covenant community on display, clearly implied concept of believers committed to individual local bodies and single congregations. 
The clearest evidence for this in the New Testament uh, comes from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 18. We looked at this passage together last week. And it's in this passage where Jesus uh, lays out the process for us approaching one another if we fall into sin and potentially removing someone from the congregation if they continue in a pattern of open and unrepentant sin. This is Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says here, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, and every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So we have here from the very words and mouth of Jesus Christ a very clear process for defining who is a part of the assembly of believers and who's not. And and the way Jesus lays this out for us is to show, listen, it is not loving for us to allow a lost and dying and unbelieving world continue to see the actions of professing Christians who are not walking with Christ. And so it's, it's a clear distinguishing of those who are authentically following Jesus Christ and those who are not, who are walking in open, unrepentant rebellion and sin. Jesus lays that out for us in Matthew 18. Another key passage is from Hebrews 13. It says, right, writer of Hebrews says to us, uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's two critical pa- questions that emerge from this passage for us. The first question is for all believers everywhere. This is a question all of us should be asking, and it's this. To whom am I accountable? If I am to obey what's in Hebrews 13 right here, who am I accountable to? What leaders am I accountable to? Am I accountable to all pastors and elders everywhere? Am I accountable to pastors and elders from other congregations? Am I accountable to pastors and elders from other denominations? Am I accountable to pastors and elders with whom I would not follow or with whom I disagree? To whom am I accountable? And the second question here is for church leaders. I want to know as a pastor, for whom am I responsible? This is important because the New Testament's abundantly clear that I, as a pastor, as a leader, that our elders, that our pastors and elders here, we're going to be held to a higher standard than everybody else. So I I want to know on the judgment day when I stand before the Lord, I want to know for whom I am responsible to give an account. And we simply can't do this if we have a boundaryless existence where we all sort of float from place to place. The New Testament pattern was, yes, we are all members of one body, the Big C Church in Jesus Christ, but that was fleshed out through expression in single local covenant communities. So uh, beyond this, we see several other evidences, and we we teach about these through our membership classes, but I just want to jet through these really quickly because this is important, I think, for us to see. We saw last week, Hebrews 10, that the gathering is biblically commanded, and uh, outside of just a couple of isolated evangelistic accounts where we see people sharing the gospel with individuals, there simply is no precedent in the entire New Testament for someone who's a follower of Christ that is not committed to a singular local church. So so translation is this, and this is important for us, church. There is no Christless and there is no churchless Christianity in the New Testament. That There is no version of Christianity in the New Testament where you say, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. You can't say that you love Jesus and then not have what Jesus says you need. And he says we need the body of believers. He says we need the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And there is no version of Christianity in the New Testament. We are not connected to local churches. 1 Peter 5, we see that pastor and elder bodies are commanded to care for specific people. 
Acts chapter 2, we saw this a couple weeks ago. There's a numerical record that's kept for those who became believers. So, so again, go back to that picture from Acts 2 where we were a couple of weeks ago. In, in one cataclysmic moment, 3,000 people are saved and someone records that. And this is what I love. It tells me that someone in the first century church was an administrative ninja. I mean, somebody had a busy day. Like, this is not like pre-Microsoft Word and, like, digital platforms. I mean, we're talking about, like, a feather in some ink and parchment, and somebody wrote 3,000 names that day. That was a busy, busy day. From the earliest moments of the church, there was a clear distinguishing of these are those who are part of the fellowship and these are, or versus those who are not. Then Acts chapter 6, we see this beautiful picture of pastoral care. Did y'all know the first century church had conflict? Did you know churches used to have problems? Isn't that crazy? That they had a conflict. There was a, a group of widows within the congregation. They were being overlooked in pastoral care, and they say that's an issue. And so they appoint several to be deacons who are going to go about caring for them to make sure they're not being neglected in food distribution. And the way they do this is because they know who belongs to that congregation. He says, choose from among you, from among that congregation, those who are going to carry out this task. And one of the main reasons why we drive towards church membership is because we want to be most effective at pastoral care. We want to know for whom are we responsible and how can we care for those who are in our midst. All throughout Paul's letters, he indicates an awareness of individuals who are serving in local churches. So sometimes he writes to encourage those who have been an encouragement to him. But then we also see the Apostle Paul in many of his letters, he extends words of correction to local churches. And not just in a general sense, there are a number of letters where Paul actually confronts people by name. Like, it's one thing to get called out. It's another thing to get called out in the Bible. This is permanent and forever. And so, man, if people were false teachers in a local congregation, Paul did not mince words. He said, listen, that guy's become puffed up and conceited. And you need to pay attention. He, he would address those who had, had fallen into division and say, you need to confront them and tell them that they should not be causing so much strife. And he knew he could do this because these individual believers who were a part of the big C church were part of these singular local congregations. First Timothy 5, we see a clear organized policy and a plan for caring for widows, registering them for care within the congregation at Ephesus. But then just to round it all out, this is probably the most important point all of the New Testament letters were written to specific congregations and leaders who led and shepherded in specific locations. So you ask the question, show me church membership in the New Testament. The better question is, can we actually read the New Testament without a concept of membership? Every single one of these letters are written to singular local churches. Yes, we are, praise God, a part of the big C church. We are united with believers all across the globe who today are gathering together to do the very thing that we're doing here. But our commitment to the bride of Christ is best expressed through commitments to a single local congregation. Jesus speaks of his relationship to the church as the same relationship between a bride and a groom. And I think I've given this example probably before. So we see the church defined really in marriage terms. Christ is the, is the groom and the church is his bride. Now, I'm married and I, I love marriage. Praise God for, for our marriage. We, we celebrated 10 years uh, uh, ten, uh, a couple of weeks ago together, Emily and I did. And I love marriage. I think it is a, a precious gift from God that visibly puts on display the message of the gospel in the world around us. But something would be a little bit off if you heard me say something like this. If I said, you know, I, I'm not really committed to one specific marriage. I'm just sort of committed to like the big M marriage. Like, I'm just committed to marriage, sort of, you know, just, just overall, and so I don't think I need to belong to one marriage somewhere. I think it's just okay for me to be a part of all marriages everywhere. That would likely be frowned upon. 
Like, I don't think you would be encouraged hearing me talk about my marriage this way. No, the way I demonstrate my commitment to marriage everywhere is by com- being committed to one marriage somewhere, namely my marriage. The, namely, the, the marriage that the Lord has given me, the wife has given me, to be in covenant relationship with him. And listen, if Jesus Christ has framed the nature of his relationship with the church as a groom and a bride, then y'all, we have to do a whole lot better than simply date the church. We are the bride of Christ. Let's not forsake that identity because we have a nominal commitment to the body of believers. We are called to be together with one another relationally. This has been one of the worst side effects of 2020, I think. Is that so many of us, we've been isolated, we've been distanced from one another, we've been separated, the church has been scattered. And man, we've just doubled down on these screens. And what these screens do is they dehumanize people. We see one picture, we don't see people, we just see a profile. We, we attack one another, and we argue with one another, we assume the worst about one another. How desperately right now does our world need to see a picture of a unified church? How desperately do they need to see this picture? And there's simply no replacement for the flesh and blood fellowship of believers. We are called to be one body in Christ. Finding our, fi- our primary identity in Jesus Christ. Our, pri- our primary identity when we come to know Christ, it is no longer in our age. It is no longer in our wisdom. It's no longer in our success. It's not in our ethnicity. It's not in sexuality. It's not in gender. We are one body in Jesus Christ. And every other identity is completely secondary to this and should be submitted to the authority of God's word. We are not our Enneagram numbers. For those of you who were into that. We are not the color of our skin. We are not our age. We are not our gender. We are first and foremost sons and daughters of a father. And we are the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. So gospel communities grow together relationally. Second, we see from this passage that gospel communities grow spiritually. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at the devotions of the early church. And we've seen the main components last week of Christian worship gatherings. We saw that as they gathered, there was teaching, and there was fellowship, and there was communion, and there's prayer. We see elsewhere in the New Testament that there was singing. And this should be the fundamental makeup of what happens when we come together. It's nothing extravagant that we have to pursue. It's these simple, ordinary means that God has given for the building up of his body and the advance of the gospel in our world. Now, uh, last week we took a a pretty long look at fellowship, and then next week we're going to be partaking together with communion. So uh, for the sake of our time together this morning, I want to focus on the two components of teaching and prayer. So uh, this is what we see from these verses. We see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So uh, when they gathered together publicly, the scriptures would be opened up, the apostles would show Christ from the Old Testament, and they would reveal that all of it had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, pointing them to the message of the gospel. And then when they gathered together privately in homes, it was for more teaching and for uh, a deeper dive into the scriptures. Probably the best example of this that we see in the New Testament is that of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. And I want you to pay very close attention to this passage of Scripture because I believe the Bereans serve for us the ideal for what we should be striving for as people of the Word. This is Acts 17, verses 10 through 11. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now listen to this. It says, 
Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. First, poor Thessalonica, right? Like what did they do wrong? They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And why were they considered more noble? We see here. They received the word with all eagerness. Gosh, I love that. They were eager to receive the word. They were eager to hear the word. And it says, examining the scriptures, what's that say? Daily. Daily to see if these things were so. So this is the picture that we see of the Bereans, is they would listen to the teaching of the apostles. Now, can just put this in its context. These are the apostles who, they followed Jesus I mean, they were the first wave of disciples of the church. They lived and walked with Jesus for three years. They were close to Jesus. If anybody knew Jesus, it was these guys. And yet, the Bereans did not take for granted that they were still men who were prone to error. And so they would listen to the teachings of the apostles, and yet every single day as accountability, they would be searching the scriptures to see if what the apostles were teaching was true. And this is such a vitally important component of our fellowship. This is what we should be doing. So, so whether it's myself or someone else who stands up here on Sunday morning and we're preaching God's word, listen, I, I just want to implore you, carry this with you when you come. And open it up and pay attention and take notes and then go to your community groups. This is why we've made them sermon-based is because we want to live out Acts 17. Search the scriptures. See if these things are true. Two big red flags and warning signs for those who are teachers of God's word. First, those who barely open it if they open it at all. Is the Bible the central focus of the sermon or is it the footnote at the very end? Is Is it a TED talk with a Bible verse? We need to pay attention to this. Because that is not sufficient for the formation of the church. Second is this. Be very wary of the person who in a roundabout way says, just take my word for it. Listen, this is me this morning saying, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Everything that I get up here and say should be rooted and should be centered in the word of God. And then we together, collectively as a body of believers, we have a responsibility to search the scriptures to see if these things are true. This is the work that we're called to. Listen, there's a responsibility for you as a congregation when it comes to the engagement of those who teach falsely. Understand that false teacher is not just the fault of the person teaching. False teaching is the fault of the congregations who tolerate it. There's a responsibility of the body of believers to confront those who err in their doctrine, who err theologically, who err away from the teaching of the word of God. Just as I could be held accountable for teaching falsely, you, church, could be held accountable for tolerating it. I would just tell Emily every once in a while, I'm like, babe, if I, if I just go off the rails theologically, just, just take me out. It's like bury me in the backyard. Now it's on public record now. Like if she does it, don't, don't be mad at her. I'm, I'm giving her permission right now. Just before we get to that day, but, but listen, if I could just say a personal note here. I've never had this problem that, that I've encountered with, with so many of my friends who, who pastor. And I, I sit, I'm, I'm in a number of different circles with different groups of pastors. I was with a group a couple weeks ago where one was really just bemoaning. I mean, his, his congregation just every week just giving him fits. He's like, he's just trying to teach from the Bible and they don't, they don't want that. And they're just wanting things that he feels are a little bit more superficial. And he's really just doing his best to try to shepherd them and guide them in the word. He faces this constant pushback. And, and church, if I could just say one thing to commend you, I do not experience this. And I praise God that you show up here every single week and you are eager to engage this word. 
I can't tell you what that means and how that drives me through the course of the week to be, to be studying, knowing that you're going to be eager, knowing that you're going to be searching this word, knowing that you're going to be fact-checking me. That holds me accountable, and that encourages me, and that makes me want to give my very best every single week to make sure that we're being led in God's word. So praise God that you are people of the word. I thank you so much for this, that you're eager to receive the word of God. And it's my prayer that that would be our testimony to the end. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and second, they were devoted to prayer. They were continually devoted to the work of prayer. Last night, we, we just had this incredible opportunity. The first time in several months, we had one of our corporate prayer gatherings right here. And so um, there were different parts of the evening, about 45, 50 of us who were here for about two and a half hours last night. And we prayed for you. We prayed for our church family. We prayed uh, just for everything that's happening in our world. Many shared words of testimony and words of encouragement. We prayed for healing, and it was just a beautiful time together. And I, even as I got home last night, I was just, I'm usually, a, I usually go to bed early, but I was just wired last night, just so excited by what happened in this place, because last night was just this glimpse. There's just, again, 45, 50 of us here, but it was just this, this incredible makeup, a, a generationally, culturally diverse group that was gathered here together to pray. And, and that, man, that's just my prayer, is that, that everything we do would be saturated by prayer. You come in here on Sunday mornings, you'll find our staff and our volunteers that are serving that day. We're praying over the events of the morning. And it's my desire in community groups, as you come together throughout the course of the week, listen, group leaders, don't let prayer be the thing that you do at the very end so everybody can feel good about going home. Now, I've, I've been there before, I think we've all done this before, where it's time sort of gets away, you're having good discussion, you're like, oh goodness, it's time to go. Someone pray so we can leave. No, no, no. Let's lead out our time together in prayer. Let's take our time. Man, uh, we hear these testimonies every once in a while. Listen, I can tell you, Dustin, our associate pastor, he puts a lot of time into your discussion questions and the sermon-based content every week. But man, we love some of the testimonies that come out of community groups where it's like, hey, thanks for the content this week, but we got together and we started praying and that just took up the whole night. Praise God. Praise God for that. Like, we're not going to kick you out of group just because you didn't do the discussion questions. Let's, let's be people who are devoted to prayer, who saturate everything that we do in prayer. Take those pauses during your group to pray for people in the moment as you feel the Holy Spirit leading, not just waiting for the very end. Pray for others as you feel prompted. It's my prayers we come in here on Sunday mornings that maybe, man, instead of sitting down on our phones and, and just having casual side conversations and checking notifications on our phone, what if we just came in here and we broke into groups of three or four, man, we just went into prayer. And we just launched into prayer. And that's what led us into our time of worship together every single week. My dad uh, used to tell this story of the church my grandfather pastored in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee back in the 70s. And they just went through this period of unprecedented growth and revival. And, and what marked this season for several months is my, I just had this conversation with my grand, grandfather again just a few months ago. What marked this particular season, they've had a number of Sunday mornings where when the doors opened up, People would just come straight for the aisle. They'd come straight for the aisle and walk towards the altar, and they'd get on their knees, and they would start to pray. And sometimes this would go on for an hour, or two hours, or three hours, or four hours, or five hours into the afternoon. Sometimes people would be walking by, and they would hear as they were walking by in the streets what was happening in the church. And they would come in, and they would come to faith in Christ in that moment through the prayers of God's people. And in this whole season, hundreds of people came to know Christ. And they just saw this, this time of unprecedented growth, and it was all bathed in the prayer of God's people. And then even from a very different camp, sort of in a, a different spectrum uh, than what my dad grew up in, I heard the story, a testimony of a pastor this past week who came to faith in Christ through the Jesus movement in the late 60s. And, and man, he just was giving this testimony about how turbulent things were. 
how awful it was in, in the late 60s and how much division there was and how much hostility there was and how in the midst of all of that chaos of political strife and of strife over war and of racial strife, does any of this sound familiar? In the midst of all of this, the Lord just poured out his Holy Spirit. And hundreds and thousands of people came to know Jesus. And church, I'm just asking you this morning, do you believe that God can do this again? Do you believe that he can move in this way again? I believe that he can. And I believe that through the prayers of his people, as we turn from our sins, as we cry out for him, that God desires to move this way once again among his people. If the Lord tarries in his coming, and the next chapters of church history are written, my prayer very simply is that it could be said of the people of Cross Community Church that we were devoted to prayer. If nothing else can be said about us, let this be spoken. Verses 46 through 47, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So who was adding to that number day by day? It was the Lord. So gospel communities grow relationally, gospel communities grow spiritually, and third, gospel communities grow numerically. Now, we're going to spend just a moment here, a brief moment, because this is going to carry over into where we'll be next week as we see that the church is called to give and to go. We see this picture that it's the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, just look at the progression so far in the book of Acts. In Acts 1 and 2, it starts with 120 gathered together. By the end of Acts 2, we see that another 3,000 are saved. By Acts 4, we see that that number was at 5,000 men. So they get to the point now where they're just counting households. And then by Acts 5, it just says that multitudes were being saved. Losing count of how many people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, is it possible for us as a church to overemphasize numbers? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. There can be a very unhealthy infatuation with numbers and with church growth just for the sake of growth. That, that's, I think, the error of so many modern methodologies that it's all just about counting heads. But our responsibility is not to focus on the growth of the church. Our responsibility is to focus on the health of the church. Because it's the Lord who gives the growth. And where evangelism gets messed up is when we start to mistake our responsibility with God's. When we become the ones who try to manufacture the growth and to manipulate the growth and to make it happen, rather than committing ourselves to these basic devotions to just the simplicity of the preaching of the gospel, to prayer, and to teaching, and to fellowship, and to communion, to singing, and trusting that as we set ourselves before the authority of God's word, it will accomplish what he desires for it to do, which is to save the souls of others. And so we do the work of the farmer, man. We scatter the seed, and we water the ground. But y'all, we have absolutely no control over whether or not the sun comes up. We trust the Lord in his sovereignty to use what he has promised to use for the building up of the church. And in that trust, we believe that God can once again draw multitudes to himself. And we, we praise God for how our church family has grown these first few years together. But listen, it should never be our goal to be a big church. Our goal should be to be a healthy church. We will focus on the health and let's let the Lord take care of the growth. This is the testimony that we have as a body of believers. We are people who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this body of believers, it is a public, invisible expression of who Jesus Christ is. 
His commitment to us is unwavering. It's not inconsistent. He doesn't see us in our flaws, in our inadequacies, in our insufficiencies, and sort of wash his hands in pious concern and step out and say, sorry, I can't be a part of that. Too many hypocrites, too many problems. I don't trust structures. It's so easy. It's easier in 2020 than ever to be a critic of the church and know it, to step up and say, hey, I don't need any part of that whatsoever. But as humble as this might sound, it's actually rooted in self-righteousness. Because we're asserting in that moment that we have found something that everybody else has missed. Man, if everybody could just be like me, the church would be a much better place, we convince ourselves. And that is not what God desires for the body of Christ. The picture that we see in the gospel is of a love that is fiercely devoted to us. Of one who never leaves us, of one who never forsakes us, of one who sees us in our flaws. And not only does he not run away, he reaches in and he rescues us. So as I, I close this morning, I want us to, to look at this quote here from, from Charles Spurgeon. He called the church the dearest place on earth. And I love this language. I, I love this so much. And I, it's my prayer that this would be the testimony of our congregation together that we would truly see it as the dearest place for which we can be a part. And this is his exhortation. He says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had ever joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would have not been the perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone, and then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty. But that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. Isn't that good news? For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners and in need all the, of the, all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. Don't you wish that could be said of our church? Could that be said of our local congregation? So listen, this is my encouragement to you this morning. We believe God's desire is for you to be a, a singular member of a single local body of believers. And listen, that may not be here, and that is okay. Every month almost, we get to sit down with someone and connect them to another local church. And we praise God for this because we can celebrate the kingdom work that he's doing in the Big C Church all across our community. It's, as much as we hate to see military families move on to their next destination, one of the greatest joys I have is helping them find a new church home as they go. It's allowed us to expand our horizon to understand uh, some healthy partnerships that exist out there beyond our walls and to broaden our understanding of the Big C Church. We praise God for that. But listen, if you're, you're here and you've never become a member of, of this particular body, we would encourage you to do this to come into fellowship with us, to be a part of this unbroken fellowship that God desires for every single follower of Jesus. And even this morning, if you're here as a member of this church, even as another church, if you're visiting with us today, and maybe through, through this season or just through a series of events over the last several years or, or just through the, the history of your life, you just had a bad experience and your love for the church is waning, my prayer for you this morning is that God would help you fall in love with the church all over again.
Jesus loves his bride. And that's you and me. He loves us. And so our prayer for one another should be that we would love this assembly together called Cross Community Church. We should love the assembly of believers in all places as the Big C Church because it is God's good and perfect desire that we flesh out the same commitment to the world that he has demonstrated for us in giving us his son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we close our time together this morning, we praise you. We praise you for the visible expression of your body that is known as the church. Father, we thank you that in spite of our brokenness and of our flaws, Lord, that through repentance and faith, we can be saved, Lord, and that you will fill us with the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, my prayer, even for our church family, is that through our flaws, your perfection would shine. That people would see right through us to see you. Father, that even through the testimony of the existence of our local church, that the glory of God would be visibly displayed to a lost and dying and hurting world. Lord, give us a love for your bride and for your church. A love for our local church here, a love for your church everywhere. Father, it's all yours. Cross community isn't ours, it's yours. And we thank you that you've called us as your own. So Lord, equip us and build us up and strengthen us and quicken us. Guide us to hope and salvation in you. Renew our strength and faith today. And equip us to go with the message of your good news as we leave this place. So be glorified now, Father, as we sing. Be glorified through the praises of your people. Would it be a sweet fragrance and aroma to you? And would we be edified by the truths that we sing? We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Church, let's stand together and sing as we close our time together today.
Amen. That's good. It's good to sing the gospel. Hey, listen, it's so good uh, to worship with you as always. Again, those of you joining us via live stream today, thank you for joining in. Um, Russell, thank you again so much for leading us today. Um, listen, especially those of you watching live stream, those of you in the room right now, Grayson Johnston has worked absolute overtime for about six weeks to make this live stream thing work. So can we thank him this morning just for the work he's put into that? Those of you online, maybe make a comment. Uh, Grayson loves attention, so make sure you give him lots of that uh, before you, you go today. But buddy, thank you for, for making that possible for our church family. A few things I do want to highlight very quickly as we go today. Uh, obviously, heavy emphasis on understanding church membership this morning. We do have a Crosspoint opportunity coming up September 20th. That's our covenant membership class. We've not been able to have one in several months, so we're going to have three uh, throughout the course of the fall, one in September, one October, one in November. You can indicate that in Next Steps card. Just check Crosspoint as you go today, and we'll follow up with you on that. Or you could drop by the Next Steps table on the way out, and we'll love to talk to you more about that. We have baptisms to celebrate in a couple weeks, Sunday, September 20th. So many who have been waiting in the wings for several months now, we finally get to celebrate uh, their public commitment to the Lord through baptism. And then we've uh, pressed this the last few Sundays, going to continue pressing this over the next few weeks, signing up to serve on a ministry team. As we have uh, regathered this summer, uh, we are retooling all of our ministry teams. Uh, Landra shared the good news earlier that Cross Kids is going to reopen in a modified capacity uh, in just a couple of weeks. Um, and I know she's even meeting with about 50 of those volunteers today and uh, over the next couple days. So, um, so if that's you, man, if you're not connected to the volunteer team, it's a great way to connect with others uh, to serve the body here um, at Cross, and we greatly appreciate your participation there. So stop by the Next Steps table on the way out this morning, and there's info about how to sign up for those teams or use your Next Steps cards. So uh, you do have giving envelopes, Next Steps cards. Just drop those at the corner as you go. For those of you watching online, online Next Steps form, online giving, all available through our website and here at our Facebook page as well. Um, but let's say together our banner verse as we close, and then we'll sing together as we go. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing. Praise God from whom. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Y'all be blessed. Have a great week. <laughs>